Welcome to the Plant-Based Canada podcast. Join us as we talk to the experts to explore the field of nutritional sciences and how our food choices impact our health and the environment. We sit down with Canadian doctors, dietitians, athletes, climate experts, and others to break down the evidence behind a whole foods plant-based diet and discuss the practical steps we can take in the effort to shift towards a healthier lifestyle. My name is Stephanie Nishi, and today we have a special bonus episode as I am joined by sisters, Drs. Shireen and Zara Kazem to discuss their new book called Eating Plant-Based, Scientific Answers to Your Nutrition Questions, and hear about their work leading plant-based initiatives. Dr. Zara Kazem is a radiation oncologist at the Stronach Regional Cancer Center and an assistant professor in the Department of Radiation Oncology at the University of Toronto, specializing in the treatment of breast and gastrointestinal malignancies. She is a certified lifestyle medicine physician with the American Board of Lifestyle Medicine and counsels her patients on dietary and lifestyle interventions to optimize outcomes after a cancer diagnosis. In 2019, she co-founded Plant-Based Canada, which this podcast is a part of, a nonprofit organization with the mission to promote plant-based whole food nutrition that is healthy and sustainable and which supports the well-being of the planet and all its inhabitants. Dr. Shireen Kazem is a consultant hematologist and honorary senior lecturer at King's College Hospital in London with a specialist interest in the management of lymphoma. She is also a certified lifestyle medicine physician and is passionate about promoting the benefits of plant-based nutrition for the prevention and reversal of chronic diseases and for maintaining optimal health after a cancer diagnosis. She is the founder and director of Plant-Based Health Professionals UK, a community interest company whose mission is to provide evidence-based education on healthy plant-based diets. In 2021, she co-founded Plant-Based Health Online, the UK's first Care Quality Commission regulated lifestyle medicine healthcare service. Before we get into the chat with Shireen and Zara, a quick note. Tickets are now available for the annual Plant-Based Canada Conference, which provides evidence-based education by experts on plant-based nutrition for individual health and will highlight the environmental and social concerns of our food system. Sign up for the Plant-Based Canada newsletter on our website or visit our social media for information on ticket sales and updates. Shireen and Zara, thank you so much for joining us today on the Plant-Based Canada podcast. It's an honour to get to speak to both of you. Well, thanks, Stephanie. Great to be here. Thank you so much, Stephanie. So we are here today to celebrate and chat about your relatively recently published book called Eating Plant-Based, Scientific Answers to Your Nutrition Questions, which I believe first became available mid-February of this year. Now, before we dive into talking about your book, what led to each of you personally adopting a plant-based diet? Shireen, what initiated or sparked plant-based lifestyle practices for you? Yeah, thanks, Stephanie, for asking. So it was back in 2013, really, when I decided to adopt a vegan diet, really because of the ethics and, you know, the underlying feeling that eating and um, using animals was no longer aligned with my sort of um, beliefs and the way I wanted to lead my life. I'd been vegetarian since 2001, but I hadn't really consciously 
thought about the consumption of eggs and dairy. And once it became apparent to me um, about what was involved um, for the animals in, in the egg and dairy industry, it no longer sat um, right with me. So I really adopted a plant-based diet because I adopted uh, veganism in its entirety. Thank you for sharing. And Zara, how about yourself? Totally the same uh, as Shireen. So Shireen and our sister Layla all went through the same epiphany in 2013 and we were able to discuss it together as well. So it was a journey based on our ethical um, beliefs first and that opened up the uh, research and the evidence into plant-based eating for our own health and for planetary health and it just became the only way to move forward so once you know once we once we knew that there was no alternate way to move forward and that sounds pretty powerful considering that you're both medical doctors working in hospital based clinical practices in the field of oncology so once you made this so-called epiphany and transition to being plant-based how did this affect your practices or did it affect your practices? Shireen, please go ahead. Oh, thank you. Um, well, yeah, it took a while because, you know, you make a change, but um, it takes time to feel confident to start speaking to other people about the choices you've made um, for personal and ethical reasons, as they don't necessarily translate into the clinic room. But as you say, I work as a predominantly a cancer doctor. I um, look after people with lymphoma, a type of cancer of lymphatic system. And I also spend time in the diagnostics laboratory, diagnosing all sorts of hematological cancers. Um, and when I became vegan, I had to sort of discover um, how to eat healthfully for myself and that led to um, reading books and um, journal articles and also watching the movies that um, I'm sure a lot of your audience have watched like Forks Over Knives to really realise that there was an abundance of data supporting a healthy plant-based diet for prevention and potentially treatment of chronic conditions. Now not necessarily the conditions I personally look after but of course, my patients who are usually older are also suffering with the comorbidities that are really amenable to improvement and possibly reversal with a plant-based diet. So for example, cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, carrying too much weight, they're all very prevalent in, in people living um, with or after a diagnosis of cancer. Um, so it did take about sort of four or five years to feel comfortable with the data, getting myself some qualifications, you know, later on becoming a certified lifestyle medicine physician but I thought you know like with everyone you can't keep quiet about this amazing sort of information and solution and extra tools that we can use with our patients so since I became comfortable with the knowledge I have started to share that information you know whether it be in the consultation or through sharing resources or you know just in the wider public of advocacy of sharing articles in, in medical journals and, and so forth. Sarah um, previously, you had both mentioned that you had had discussions together about plant-based lifestyles. Did you have a similar process as your sister? Or what was your process? Very similar, uh, indeed. You know, we, you know, Shireen talks about educating ourselves, which was just the fundamental thing that we needed to do. And we both did the Cornell uh, plant-based nutrition course. We, as Shireen says, we both became certified in lifestyle medicine through the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. And then I, I also took Shireen's course, which is the plant-based nutrition course at Winchester University, which was such an in-depth course on plant-based nutrition. And I, th I really feel that that catapulted my knowledge as well. And 
you know, as we uh, educated ourselves, especially in the world of oncology, you know, I work with people who have breast cancer and gastrointestinal cancers. And there is really so much evidence that how we live, how we eat and, you know, how we move and how we are in our social life really impacts how we do. And plant-based nutrition for, for patients with breast cancer, for, for example, colorectal cancer, um, there is a lot of evidence now that how we eat can improve our survival. So it became absolutely imperative that I spoke with my patients, every one of them, about this. And, you know, some people are open to hearing about it. Some people are not. There's not much time, to be honest, but I had the opportunity. I have the opportunity of spending one hour with people in their first consultation with me. And I put aside about 15 minutes to talk about lifestyle with them. And I hope that that will you know, plant the seed. And then, of course, I follow my patients throughout their treatment and then in follow up after that. So we have the opportunity to explore more uh, as their questions come in. And, and you know, we learned as we went along because it's easy f- to read the International Cancer Guidelines, which clearly state eat a diet rich in fruits, vegetables, whole grains, uh, beans and other legumes and don't have your processed food, don't have your red meat and your processed meat and sugary beverages but then you have all the questions coming back at you and you know we learned as we went along and it you know in initially I would say that's a great question you know I'll get back to you at our next visit on that but now we are much better educated and and can answer the questions as we go along. (laughs) You speak about education both professionally and in your clinical practice, you talk about almost key moments of education. And this is even mentioned in your book that you take into consideration the patient's situation in life. And you speak about focusing on quote unquote, easy wins when it comes to making healthy choices. Can you tell us a little bit about how this affects your own lifestyle and or how this affects your practice and finding these easy wins or what could potentially be considered an easy win? And Zara, I'll start with you and then Shireen to follow. There's some easy questions that we can ask people to get an idea of, of what their situation is and what they're eating at the moment. You know, lots of our patients actually are eating very healthily. Lots of people know that fruits and vegetables are, are good for you. So, you know, asking them, what is their typical diet? How many times a week do they eat meat? You know, you can get a quick idea of what their nutrition is. But also then that that sits within their social circumstances. And, and sometimes, you know, people are, are not supported. Um, they have lots of social issues and all they want to do is, is get through the, the treatment. And that's totally fine. So there are situations where it's harder for people to make changes. And then there are situations where it's people are just all on board with that already and are just, you know, accelerated path forward but you know easy wins would be you know replace your meat with beans for example add in uh, a serving of greens every day increase your fruit for, for snacks and also to be kind and compassionate to yourself that you can take things at your own pace and that's okay and these small wins are good you know even swapping dairy for soy milk once in your cereal small changes can have big benefits so that's the way we look at it. And we celebrate every change that our patients make. Shireen, I can imagine that these little changes that are noted in Canada could potentially be similar in the UK. Is that fair to say? Or what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, just over the last decade or so, when we've been looking into um, plant-based diets and um, you know transitioning ourselves, the availability of different foods, the amount of recipes, the amount of support and information online or in person has rapidly um, increased. So it's all very positive. So it is much easier to try and align your recommendations with an individual's um, lifestyle because you know twenty years ago, you'd everyone would be having to you know, uh, cook from scratch, wouldn't they? They wouldn't be ready meals as such or, or these plant-based meat alternatives um, that are on the market or certainly not the abundance of or restaurant foods and um, would be difficult to choose a healthy healthy meal or a plant-based meal. Like Zara, I try to get an idea in a, in a short period of time, you know, what the cooking knowledge and skills are. You know, everyone says, oh, I eat a healthy diet, but, you know, it's really worth sort of digging down and just going through an average day's food and what people have for snacks. And, you know, just trying to increase the number of plants in each meal, whether it's, you know, a handful of spinach and, you know, a bolognese or it's swapping, um, you know, a, a candy type snack to a, a fruit based one, adding a portion of nuts and seeds. Um, and as Zara says, you know, trying out some plant milk. So it is straightforward because a lot of the supermarket owned brands are so reasonably priced and also fortified as well here in the UK. Um, so just trying those um, small things. And as, as Zara says, you have the opportunity to re repeat those conversations, at least during um, treatment, as people come back to see you and, and you assess how they're doing during that time. And I would add, actually, I'm so blessed in the place that I work that we have two wonderful dietitians and um, having their support is just invaluable. And of course, one of our dietitians is Michelle Fideli, who is co-founder of Plant Based Canada as well. And it's it's really wonderful to be able to refer my patients to them for healthy resources if they wish. Yeah, we're not so lucky in the UK. I mean, the only way you get to see a, an oncology dietitian is if you're underweight, you're not maintaining your weight. Um, you know, you've got, you've got you're suspected to have nutrient deficiencies or, or particular symptoms that are related to diet. So and mainly inpatient services, it's awfully difficult to to refer outpatients. So we're, we're not so lucky, which is why I try to have sort of resources at hand that can guide guide people. That sounds challenging because often we try to say to adopt a plant-based dietary pattern to help prevent these things from happening. But if we're reaching it in the treatment stage, it can be very challenging at that point. You're facing so many other challenges, but to add something else to make a change, at least that's my personal opinion on that. Yeah, totally agree with that. I think, you know, you, you talk through the diagnosis, the chemotherapy, the side effects, sign a consent form. And then the last thing people want to think that they have to do is, is change their diet or it feels overwhelming, even even thinking about small changes to, to make. But it doesn't matter at what stage of your journey you're able to talk to patients about this. It can be after completing treatment, you know, three, four five months down the line um, and, and thinking about um, living better and longer and in, in, in better health um, using a lifestyle approach. Now you both touched on this, the reasons for why a plant-based lifestyle has importance and also that there are easy ways to make changes to adopt a plant-based lifestyle. But one of the questions you have gotten is why two sisters and cancer doctors wrote a book on plant-based diets. And this was briefly discussed in the Plantrition Project blog post. But for listeners, what was your motivation or reasons for writing this book? And what makes it stand out and be different from other books in the field? Shireen, would you like to begin? 
Yeah, thank you. Well, it was a really exciting um, and enjoyable project to do together. You know, it was something that we worked on um, as sisters. And I can't think of anything in the recent past <laughs> that's allowed that, given that we live on two different continents. But as you say, you know, why did we write such a book? Well, it, it was because, you know, through our um, work with plant-based health professionals and also Plant-Based Canada, our nonprofit organisations, um, people would reach out to us with all the similar or or same questions that we were asking when we first adopted a plant-based diet, you know, all those ones that relate to health and, you know, what we do know about the impact of a vegan or a healthy plant-based diet on health, what we don't know, where we'd like to know more information. Um, And both of us had read um, the book by Gary Francioni called Eat Like You Care, which Um, sort of answers all the questions um, relating to the ethical arguments for veganism. And we love the format. It's a QA and a book. Um, it goes through all common questions with really um, reasoned um, arguments and backed by um, science or philosophy. And we thought, well, there isn't that sort of book out there. You know, there's lots of plant-based um, nutrition books, but there isn't a simple sort of a format where people can dip in and out, have a look at the sections that they're interested in. You know, uh, there's there's various questions that are relevant to some, not to others. Or, or of course, you can read it in a linear fashion um, and, um, you know, ha- hopefully have all the common questions answered. So it's a book that you would read front to back, but also that you'd come back to hopefully when you're trying to advocate for a plant-based lifestyle yourself and to your friends and family. And Zara, how about yourself? What were your thoughts as you were approaching such an, a task as writing a book? Well, it was Shireen's idea. I'll just say that. And I was so honored that she invited me to do it with her. And it was it was wonderful. Any time that I can be with Shireen and work with Shireen is amazing. So that, that part was just lovely. It's a lot of work, um, but we felt very strongly that this was um, something important to us. So, and we found a wonderful publisher in the UK who was very supportive um, and helped us along the way uh, significantly. So, yeah, and as Shireen said, all those reasons for wanting to write the book, to have an easy resource. We wrote the book that we wanted to read and we wrote it in a learning style that was was ours and which was our lived experience of what we were getting on a day-to-day basis from our patients, from our friends and from our family. So you mentioned that this is based on a lived experience and your book addresses commonly asked questions related to a plant-based lifestyle. And given there are so many questions and varying opinions and sites offering information on this, how did you first approach this task? For instance, the book starts out by covering common questions on eating meat, dairy, fish, and eggs, and then moves on to questions on plant foods and their impact on health and myths about vegan diets and so forth. So did you write following this flow of information or how did you go about jumping into this screen if you'd like to begin? Yeah, it's difficult now to think back. And I have to say, I'm pretty sure it was Zara's idea to do a Q&A type book. Um, it might have been my, my idea to write a book together, but certainly the Q&A really feel like that was down to, to Zara. And I don't, you know, very early on, you have to come up with a content uh, list, you know, even before you sign the publisher deal. And no, I did everything just, you know, very rushed and without much thought. And I thought, oh, well, it made sense to think about, you know, all the different food groups and have a chapter dedicated to each 
food as it were so as you say you know we cover meat and dairy and eggs and fish and uh, and so forth it, it felt like uh, it, it flowed and then we did sort of we outlined the questions together for each of those sections and then we sort of split them up as to what was most relevant or of interest to each other like you know naturally Zara having children that she's raised on a plant-based diet those sort of um, sections were were easier for her to answer um, and some of the sort of in-depth sort of vegan myth busting you know I spend a lot of time on social media and doing that so had already got some resources to refer to Um, and as you probably know I sort of write um, a blog every week anyway so I sort of had in my mind what papers and resources I wanted to include so that was easy to have the references because I was I felt like I sort of already had those at hand with my regular writing and of course running the Winchester University course but yeah beyond that I'm not sure it was terribly (laughs) well thought out. I may beg to differ. It sounds like based on what you're saying, and I'll ask Sarah to address this, it seems like you had a specific process based on your own individual expertise, and then you went about it. It sounded like you were finding and collecting and summarizing the evidence to address the individual questions. Can you speak a little bit more about this? And Sarah, I'll pass this to you. So I I remember it being summer and the sun shining and us talking to our publisher. And I remember we came up with the questions pretty fast because it was something we get asked all the time. And these were our questions. So that uh, asking the questions was was the easy part. And then and then as we went through it in all the ways that Shireen said, actually, those questions grew and we got worried that the book was going to be rather more lengthy than we had anticipated in the beginning so no it it was just a wonderful process and it it grew a little bit as it as it went on and then our publisher was who's uh, very knowledgeable and has edited medical textbooks in the past you know suggested a couple of editions that we we thought were excellent uh, additions so we we worked a little bit more on that and then you know super excited when it when it got published uh, and still smiling about it Based on your experiences writing the book, and I'll pass this question to both of you, starting with Shireen, what topics did you find the easiest to write or that you found had the most evidence or the strongest evidence to address the question at hand? Was there something that stood out to you? And Shireen, this can go to you first. And then Zara, I'll ask you the same question following. Yeah, that's a tricky question, isn't it? Because actually the the challenge was sort of summarizing in short sections the abundant um, amount of data in a really sort of bite-sized portion that would be enough for, you know, would be sufficient for medical and health professionals to feel reassured with the answer, but not be too complicated that the general public would be left behind with the medical jargon. So I've answered what the difficult part was. (laughs) Um, I think, of course, always the easier part to, to write about is the sort of the the benefits of a plant-based diet and the benefits to heart health, brain health, you know, um, metabolic health, just because that's what I find myself reading about in the way that you do when that's the diet pattern that you've uh, you've adopted. And I certainly was less familiar with um, one of our um, later chapters uh, about sort of environmental health and um, planetary health, but equally, you know, astounded by the level of, uh, of evidence now supporting a global transition to a plant-based food system 
system. And of course, that's where we had my um, dad to, to proofread and add his uh, viewpoints to, to that chapter. So I think overall, the easy bits are where, you know, we know that the plant-based diets are good, cardiometric metabolic health. And then the more tricky bits were sort of going into detail about all the animal foods that you know, neither of us eat or have eaten for the best part of a decade. And we'll touch on your dad's contributions a little bit later on in the podcast, but you bring up a really interesting point that writing succinctly in science can be really challenging and making sure that the information is translated and presented in a way that's digestible, not only for health professionals, for the general public, can be something that can be really tricky and a skill for many scientific writers. Now, I'll pass the question to Zara. For yourself personally, were there any topics that you found interested you the most or that you found were the easiest for you to write, whether that was based on the amount of evidence that was available or your own interest area? I think, yeah, that's a tricky question to say. The things that we that apply most to us, I think Shireen's touched on, you know, children for me, because, you know, I'm always thinking about my my two children and my youngest, who's eight, has been vegan since birth and my 13 year old. And it, that was always a worry to me. Are they going to be shorter? Are they going to get all the nutrients? Are their teeth and bones going to be as healthy? And so that that was really nice to see that evidence that, you know, there's more and more of that coming out recently on children, showing that our children are doing just fine uh, on vegan diets and that they have, in fact, sometimes a better nutrient profile than omnivores and their height for example is is pretty similar if there's any difference it's very small so we're we're finding that so that that was a wonderful chapter and as Shireen said one of our favorite chapters was actually the environmental chapter and I I felt like I learned the most from that most certainly can really solidified how my knowledge was in that area and it sounds like there is many different areas that there is evidence available to be able to dive into. Were there any areas that you feel still requires more research to adequately address and provide evidence to answer a question? Or do you feel that there you were able to address each of these questions to the level that you would feel confident in? quite honest with the areas that probably need more research. So I think for um, a fully plant-based or vegan diet, I think we certainly need to know more about long-term impacts on bone health. So um, we've had two studies suggesting, you know, vegan diets may increase the risk of fractures and they're particularly fragility fractures, although that might be related to um, suboptimal nutrient intake, such as calcium and vitamin D. But of course, you know, as, as we state in the book, you know, bone health is not all about diet and it's very much about you know weight bearing exercise and resistance um, and strength building exercises so you know sort of understanding better the impact of diet um, with or without other lifestyle interventions would be useful and I think the the other sort of area that we still get questions on that I find difficult to answer is about the independent impact of fish consumption on health Um, because we all know that fish is healthy if you consume it instead of red and processed meat. But would there be any benefit to health if you added it to an otherwise plant-based diet? That that study has never been done, and I'm not suggesting it needs to be done, but that sort of requires sort of extrapolation of the already existing data, which can be quite tricky to navigate, in my view. That brings up a really good point that you elaborate more on in your book is that the comparator matters when you're looking at the evidence that's available. 
Zara, is there anything that stands out to you in this regard in terms of areas that you still had questions about? I think these are the two two big ones. And, you know, the issue of bone health has come up fairly recently with the Epic Oxford study and the Adventist Health Studies. And in fact, we've got a talk on that at our upcoming Canadian Plant-Based Nutrition Conference by the wonderful Dr. Matthew Nagra for exactly this reason, because I think uh, it's great to explore uh, that part of it. And the issue of fish, of course, yes, that's definitely, you know, we have data in dementia, for example, that uh, it looks like fish is beneficial, but we also know that that's probably due to the, you know, the long-chain fatty acids and the DHA. And by having a plant-based algae supplement, you can raise your your levels very well. So you don't have to have fish clearly. And, you know, one of the thoughts of writing our book is to show that you can not only survive, but you can thrive with a fully plant-based diet and you don't need the fish and we know so many problems of fish with the pollutants uh, at the moment and the sustainability aspects of it and then all the aspects of aquaculture and the the harm that might come to us from that with all the pesticides and anti-corrosives and antibiotics that go into that so I think there's so many nuances in this question but I I think our book was there to show that you can be 100% and do extremely well and thrive. And before I had the opportunity to speak with you both today, I went on Amazon and saw that the reviews were saying that individuals were very impressed by how evidence-based and transparent you were about the research. And I believe it had a five out of five star rating. So it had really great reviews because of this, because they were saying that it was very evidence-based. It spoke to the questions that people had on the topic and was able to address them in a way that was understandable. So I just wanted to let you know, because I know reading comments can sometimes be nerve-wracking, at least for me. Thank you. Yes. And and I think that was so, you know, that point you made, that was so important to us to be very evidence-based. And there's you know, a significant portion of the book is actually just a list of references. So people can go and, and check it out. And it's not just our opinion, it's actually based on, on, on the evidence. In addition to the publication of your book, Eating Plant-Based Scientific Answers to Your Nutrition Questions, you have both founded plant-based communities. Shireen, you founded Plant-Based Health Professionals UK, and Zara, you have co-founded with Michelle Fedele, the nonprofit organization Plant-Based Canada. And each of these have a number of initiatives and resources. Can you tell us a little bit about what is currently happening and what the future looks like for these organizations? For example, Shireen, can you tell us about what Plant-Based Health Professionals UK is doing to try to change the food environment? For instance, the initiatives I believe you have going are Veganuary and No Meat May. Thanks for asking. Yeah, we've got lots of projects ongoing. And although our education is sort of aimed at health professionals, the public and ideally policy makers, um, you know, it's easier for us at the moment to tap into health professional education, given most of the team are practicing health professionals within the National Health Service, or or even privately, but um, able to, you know, contribute to um, our public health professional education. And I think that's where the change needs to happen. And where we can make the biggest impact. And that's 
exactly the reason why we formed because there's so many great environment organizations and vegan advocacy organizations but there was that sort of missing link with the impact of plant-based diets on on health and it's interesting that the last two years really feels like the conversations are changing in my workplace and other workplaces and really trying to sort of tap into that renewed sort of energy to um, you know make a change in our food system because COVID's really highlighted how broken it is so um, that um, on a very local level like my workplace King's College Hospital um, has opened up um, conversations about plant-based diets and the impact on health and also the fact that the National Health Service is trying to drastically reduce its carbon emissions and without addressing obviously food it's not going to be um, as successful as it might be and so um, last year and this year so currently running No Meat May campaign at Um, the hospital with a lot of the executive board members having signed up and providing us with recipes and coming along to our um, cook-along events and even having the opportunity to present at our hospital grand rounds which is sort of a weekly presentation that happens in virtually every UK hospital that invites all the the staff to and I I just can't even think of a time prior to two years ago when I, I would have been given that opportunity and then sort of teaming up and using our expertise to support the work of climate active groups of which have sort of multiplied in the UK. There's a um, sort of network of GP practices or family doctor practices that now work together to reduce the carbon footprint of their clinical practice. And similarly, there's the sort of greener National Health Service campaign, you know, that brings together secondary care, because I think not many people sort of realise that 4% of global uh, emissions are due to health care. Um, and there's so many aspects to that. It's sort of reducing our reliance on healthcare. You know, as we've all said before, it's often a sick care, isn't it? And actually, if we prevented people from needing that help from primary and secondary physicians, that then we would use less resources, whether it be medication or anaesthetics or um, whatever other procedures that um, sort of impact our environment. Um, And so I think prevention is really coming to a fore of which obviously we know plant-based diets can play a part. And then obviously the impact of the food system itself on greenhouse gas emissions and biodiversity loss, et cetera. And those conversations are a bit more open open. Um, And in the UK, actually, my um, course I run at Winchester University is part of the green toolkit for GPs. So, you know, they nominate somebody from a practice to take the course and then educate at least 50% of their co-workers on what they're calling a whole grain plant-based diet. So it's getting into the sort of established guidelines for primary practice, which is really nice to see. So, you know, um, we're able to give lots of talks and and support with with resources. Um, And this year as well, one of our team members, Hayley Tate, has managed to infiltrate some um, university medical school courses. So she's been teaching our Cooking for the Climate course as part of the planetary health module. So a lot of universities have got planetary health as part of their syllabus and she's been um, doing a sort of practical workshop with students at two universities and which teaches them about plant-based diets and teaches them the skills of of cooking so um, that's kind of where my head is sort of concentrated trying to really increase the amount of plant-based education within um, healthcare um, establishments and also um, the education facilities. That's quite a breadth of initiatives that you have going on. And for individuals who are interested, I'll aim to link more information in the show notes. And I'll also ask you at the end of the podcast to be able to share where people can find out more. Now, Zara, you mentioned 
Plant-Based Canada has a conference coming up and this is in May. So just in case somebody is listening to this after the fact, can you tell us more about these annual conferences and where people can find out or learn more about them? Thank you, Stephanie. So this really is our main initiative and totally inspired by Shireen because I had flown over to the UK in 2018 for her first, uh, in fact, the UK's first plant-based nutrition conference. And I think I bought the first ticket as well. And um, so and I went there, I was just so blown away by the energy and the evidence. And we had spoken to Shireen and, and we'd said, there's nothing like this in Canada. How about we do one together? And that's how our first one happened in June, July 2019. And Stephanie, you were there and uh, our, all our team were there and making it happen. And it really, we wanted to have a community in Canada because we, we were seeing you know, all, all the great work that was being done in the US and then uh, in the UK through Shireen. And we wanted to be able to not only uh, provide evidence to the public and to for health professionals, but we also wanted to develop a community and highlight all the amazing work that was already being done by Canadians. And so, you know, that also led to the podcast. Um, so with both of these, we have, you know, Canadian speakers who are physicians and dietitians and patient advocates uh, coming to speak. And this is our third conference over the weekend of the 28th and 29th of May. We are having it virtually this year because of COVID. We weren't sure where we were going to be in terms of COVID when we started organising it. And um, we had it virtually last year. And we've got, again, the most amazing Canadian speakers. And we have two amazing keynote speakers, Dr. Hannah Kaliova, who is the Director of Research at PCRM, and Dr. Brooke Goldner from Goodbye Lupus. And, you know, I've listened to both of their talks already, and, it, and they're, they're astounding. So I really would encourage people to come, and we'll link the ticket uh, sales platform to the show notes. The talks will be out for three months after the conference, so you don't even have to do it live. But the, the talks are amazing. I've mentioned the Bone Health talk. We have a cook-along with our wonderful Michelle, uh, as, together with Didem Varrell, who's a, a member of Shuin's uh, organization as well. She's a PCRM Fit for Life uh, instructor, Food for Life instructor. Uh, so that's going to be awesome. And an array of, of other amazing talks as well. And then the podcast which you and Clint and Cassandra do is so wonderful. And I really thank you for all your work you do in this. And none of our activities would happen without our amazing Plant-Based Canada team. One thing that I'm very grateful for is the community that seems to bring people together and motivates each other. So thank you both. Thank you. And I would just mention, actually, I'm sorry uh, to carry on, that I'm also a member of our Canadian um, Lifestyle Medicine Advocacy Group, which is the member interest group of the Canadian member interest group of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. And there's about, there's over 110 people who are certified in lifestyle medicine, Canadians, and they're all doing, you know, amazing work, and they're all putting their education into practice. So that's really exciting to see. And I think we're going to see more and more integration of lifestyle medicine practices into our education system, we're seeing it already. And that will, that will just get more, I think. Now this taking action and interest in the food system, as well as disseminating evidence-based information seems to run in the family. Are you able to share and speak about the work that your sister Layla and your father Amir are doing? Jareen, would you like to begin? 
Yeah, thank you. Thanks for asking. I, I think this is what's made our vegan and plant-based journey so enjoyable that it ha- really has been a family affair. And our parents, um, Zara always correct, corrects me, but I think they've been vegan for five years now. I think long, yeah, yeah, six six years since they were 73. Wow. So they both turned 78, if not nearly 79 um, this year. So that's been uh, really amazing because we know from, from personal and uh, other people's experience that you know when the whole family doesn't do it that can be a point of friction but it's been quite the opposite for for us and yeah it just sort of happened that you know from having a lifetime of listening to my father talking about soil and how wonderful it is and how we are not neglecting it and so forth and really closing my ears to everything he had to say because it's nothing to do with what I'm doing in medicine Uh, suddenly all his life's work has become so immensely relevant and he to us as a unique voice in this um, vegan world in that um, we're all familiar with the arguments about the the necessity or the not necessity of animals in our food system and he really is somebody who's an expert in crop agriculture soil health and has global expertise um, because he's worked all over the world in you know low middle and high income countries so really has that perspective you know, he has also been a game changer in his his field. He's been an advocate for a new way of um, farming, um, not so new, but it it is goes against the grain. Um, it's called conservation agriculture, which is quite the opposite of our conventional tillage, um, rather destructive um, agriculture that um, is more still more prevalent globally. And so he's had that sort of challenging um, work life where he's advocating for something that the rest of the world don't want to hear. And, you know, he is quite clear that you do not need animals in this optimised system of growing crops. So it all fits with, you know, where we need to be moving to a sort of veganic conservation agriculture approach to our food system. And um, he and my other sister, Leila, teamed up to write their book, which is an edited volume called Rethinking Food and Agriculture, which really does question the current paradigms of our food production and provide what happens to be vegan um, alternative to the food system, Um, not because it's a vegan book, but just because that provides the best way to um, meet our requirements for human planetary health and of course um, the kindest and compassionate way to live on this um, planet so we are in awe of his work now and should have been more so in our upbringing um, but now are using his expertise to influence our advocacy and, and work as well and um, I'll, I'll let Zara talk about Leila. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Leila is uh, amazing. She spent many years in development and poverty alleviation, very similar to my father. Before she moved out of that area, she found that it didn't align with her moral compass, in fact. And she is now co-founder of Animal Think Tank, which is a organization to build a social movement for animal justice. So that's where her, her interests lie. She's also co-founder of Ethical Globe. And she and my father wrote this book that you've mentioned. And she always says that it's the book that she wants to read. And that's why she wrote it and or, or co-edited it and also authored some chapters in there. And it's an insanely amazing book. It's got leaders in its, its field and the writing is so beautiful. So I really encourage people uh, to check it out. And it really does, it, it really explores the root causes of the unsustainability and degradation 
of our agricultural system and it looks at new ways forward and new paradigms that are more holistic and more inclusive and you know there's a huge inequity and social injustice piece of all of this so you know in conservation agriculture that Shireen's mentioned is something that can really address that aspect and be more equitable as well as sustainable you know small farmers can do it it can be scaled up it, it really just shows you that the food and agricultural system is so central to our destruction of our current system and in fact you know our going beyond our planetary boundaries so much of that is is actually due to our food and agriculture system it's, a, it's an absolutely fascinating book yeah, so, if I could just add that, mm-hmm. um, that the book is published by an academic publisher. So at the moment, before the price comes down, it is a little unattainable in price. But um, Leila and my father, Amir, have put together a website called inclusiveresponsibility.earth. So inclusiveresponsibility.earth, um, where there's um, sections of each of the books and summaries about the authors. And you really get a, a, a nice overview of the themes um, that people can dip in and out of. The first chapter, the introduction, which really is excellent, um, is available online for free at Science Direct. Um, so I, I would urge people to read that. And we wrote a chapter, didn't we, with Ooh. the amazing Dr. David Jenkins on uh, nutrition. <laughs> yeah, we really did. I've forgotten about that. <laughs> it was a long time ago, it feels. Seems like I have some reading to do. So briefly, I'm just conscious of the time what is would you say is the ultimate hope that each of you have for the impact of your work and are there certain things that you're really looking forward to as we move forward and Zara I'll start with you and it can just be brief I know that this could be elaborated on quite a bit but um, how would you sum that up I I would love to see you know what our organization's name is a plant-based Canada I'd love to see that that is the current paradigms. Shireen, how about yourself? Is there an ultimate hope that you have? I hope that plant-based diets are deemed the go-to dietary approach for healthcare institutions in the UK. And that includes, um, you know, having a dietary guideline that really does reflect the current evidence and takes into account sustainability and planetary health in a way that, um, you know, the the Canadian guideline does as well. So I want to have a world where we stop all these sort of diet wars and, um, you know, come to a conclusion, which is evidence-based that the more plants in the diet, the better for all our health. Now, in addition to eating plant-based, I also understand that you have a plant-based nutrition in clinical health-related academic textbook coming out. Can you tell us briefly where people can stay tuned for more information on this? Thank you. So that seemed the logical next step to try and make an academic textbook that is called uh, Plant-Based Nutrition and Clinical Practice. And we have amazing authors on all the big topics. Um, again, an evidence-based textbook, and it's uh, the same publisher who actually, uh, as we said, has experience in publishing medical textbooks, but we're hoping that it's not going to be as expensive as some medical textbooks that you see. We are well on our way to have a publication date of September 2022. It's already available for pre-order on Amazon, and uh, we will be putting it up on both of our social media pages as well. Speaking of social media, where can people find out more about your initiatives and 
where, what each of you are working on. Would you like to share your social media, web pages, or so forth? And Shireen, we'll start with you. Oh, thank you. I think the easiest way to find me and all the work that my amazing team members are doing are just the website, plantbasedhealthprofessionals.com. And then at the bottom, you can just link to our social media. We're on everything. So Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I have a personal account on LinkedIn as well, just under my name. Thank you. And Zara, how about yourself? Where can people find out more about what you're working on and doing? For us and our team, it's uh, our website, www.plantbasedcanada.org and our Instagram and Facebook um, at plantbasedcanada.org. And if you're interested, please do sign up for our newsletter on our website and we give regular updates on our activities there. Karen and Zara, thank you so much for joining the Plant-Based Canada podcast today. It's so exciting to hear more about your book and your upcoming book as well and all the initiatives that you're working on. So thank you both so much. Thank you so much, Stephanie. This episode was hosted by myself, Stephanie Nishi, and Clint Stamatovich is our audio engineer. This podcast featured royalty-free music from freesound.com. A very special thanks to our guests, Dr. Shireen Kazam and Dr. Zara Kazam, for speaking with us and sharing their insights. And of course, thank you for listening. The Plant-Based Canada podcast is an initiative of the group Plant-Based Canada, which aims to educate health professionals and the public on the evidence behind plant-based whole food nutrition for individual and planetary health. To learn more about the show, visit our website at www.plantbasedcanada.org and stay up to date by following us on Instagram and Facebook at plantbasedcanada.org. Until next time.